But underneath everything we've been talking about and exploring, there is a condition of the heart that makes practicing abundance so much easier. And Alex already touched on it, but it's this idea of gratitude, right? Have you ever met an ungrateful person or interacted with someone you think is ungrateful? Right? Like you, you it, this is small, but I, it seems all the time like I hold the door for someone and then they just kind of like rush past me, glaring at me while I'm doing it, don't say anything. I'm like, dude, I just held the door for you. I let you go. Or, or you give a gift, you know, you give someone a gift, you send them a meal, um, and then you hear it's just silence, right? Did, did they even get the gift? Are they there? Right? There's people who live there, and I struggle with this because I forget to send get cards and thank people, but there are people who live their lives in ways that, that seem really ungrateful for what they've been given, and, and when you're on the other end of the ingratitude, it stings. You're like, I went to all this effort and all this energy and nothing, right? You're not going to say anything? There's no gratitude? And, and if you were to confront that person, right, if you were to confront me, you know, we still, some of you sent us meals when we had our baby and you have not gotten a thank you card. I am sorry. That's because Charla said, Kevin, I need you to take care of this. And that's what went wrong. Um, <laughs> But if you confronted me after service and like, hey, were you not grateful for the meal that I sent you? It's like, no, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And when you confront someone, the truth is it's, they are grateful. But there is a second step that we often miss that makes our gratitude look and feel like ingratitude. And so there's this story in the Gospel of Luke that I want to explore that I think help, helps us dig a little bit deeper on what this, this, this condition is or what this step is that makes even our gratitude feel like ingratitude. Now, if you are new to the church or new to faith and um, you're like, I don't know anything about the Bible, but I would like to learn a bit more, the Gospel of Luke is a great place to start. And because in the Gospel of Luke, you get a sense of um, Jesus' heart for justice more than maybe any of the other Gospels. And also, Luke is written by a guy who's a logical, linear thinker. So if you've ever hung out with my wife, Charla, and I, you know that I think in circles, and it doesn't really make sense, and I leave out a lot of details, and she will stop me, and she'll say, no, 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 what's point A, what's point B, what's point C, what happened first, what happened second? Right, Kevin, no one knows what you're talking about because you left out all the details in the middle. This is Luke. So Luke hears and sees all these stories about Jesus are floating around, and, and, but none of them are in logical, chronological order. And so Luke, who's, a, who, who's both, a, we think, uh, a historian and a physician, begins to create this chronological order of Jesus' life that begins with the Gospel of Luke and then continues over into the book of Acts. So it goes the Gospel of Luke, which gives us a chronological order of Jesus' life, and then the book of Acts gives us this kind of chronological history of the earliest church. And so if you're like, where do I start? Luke and Acts are a great place to dive in. But so all that to say, the story we're going to look at today is, is found um, in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. It'll also be on the screen. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you remember, in, in the biblical story, Samaria or Samaritans are often the villains of the story. To, good, to, 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 to Jesus' friends and Jesus' family, um, Samaritans are often seen as being less than, and there's a big history behind that. 
Uh, and so there's always this conflict. But to get from one part of Israel to the other part of Israel, the fastest route is to cut through, Samar- um, through Samaria. And so Jesus is on this path, and so he's either on the edge or he's actually walking through Samaria. And as he's doing so, we read, as he entered a village, the fire trucks, they always get me. Um, one Sunday I was, I was preaching, and I thought, I'll just stop for a second. And the fire truck, like, sat right in front of the building for, like, five minutes. I'm just going to let it go. I can't preach with the fire truck. Okay. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy approached him, keeping their distance. Now, the reason they kept their distance is because leprosy was a skin disease, which is actually quite contagious. Now, in, when, I was, when I was a kid, I thought leprosy was the ultimate disease. No disease was worse than, worse than leprosy. And I didn't quite understand that for the most part, it's been eradicated globally and had this silent fear of catching leprosy. My parents would try to tell me, Kevin, it's not, it's, you don't need to worry about this. But I had the silent fear of catching leprosy because... As a kid who's raised in like Sunday school, it's all over the New Testament. There are 40 different references to leprosy and what an awful disease leprosy is, right? And then they don't talk, no other disease gets talked about leprosy. And there's all kinds of reasons for this. But, but leprosy was this uh, skin disease that would cause your skin to begin to ulcerate. And it also impacted people's nerves. And so they wouldn't feel pain. And so the skin begins to ulcerate. Their vocal cords would do the same thing. So their voices became very raspy. And then, because they couldn't feel pain, they wouldn't, underst- they wouldn't know when they'd hurt themselves. And so their fingers would begin to fall off, and sometimes even like the, their limbs. And so someone who had leprosy was really pr- was quite something to look at. And, and the problem was, is it was, um, it was contagious, and so they would always kind of lump lepers together, right? They would lump lepers together and so, uh, because nobody else wanted to hang out with them. And so when you got leprosy, not only is it a death sentence, not only are, is, is everything in your body falling apart and falling off literally, but you were an outcast. You had to leave your friends. You had to leave your family. Everything that you knew in love was left behind, and you were put together with other people who had the same condition as you. And so Jesus um, sees these ten men, right, because they're clumping together, who are coming towards him. And you can imagine what a sight this is. These ten guys who have these sores all over their body, and uh, their fingers are falling off, and their voices are raspy. They are coming towards Jesus. And and they, they, they raise their voices, it said. They raise their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. Some translations say, show us pity. This is, there is a, the one thing I'm always struck by in the Gospels is how often when people approach Jesus, there is a sense of desperation in their voice. Jesus is the last and final hope that they have. And so these men, they cry out, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. There's a depth of human emotion in this desperate cry. Jesus is their last hope. As they come towards Jesus, we see when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they left, they were cleansed. Two interesting things. Um, Well, first, Jesus, for one of the first times when he heals someone, 
There's others, but it's normally when he heals someone, he reaches out and he touches them, right? He takes the mud on the ground and he places it on their eyes or, you know, the woman who's been healed or who was bleeding for 12 years, she touches his, the hem of his garment and he's healed. But in this one instance, I thought this was very interesting. Jesus does not get near them. He's just like, go, turn around, go and show yourself to the priest. And as you do that, you will be healed. And there's like all kinds of sermons. We, there, there's like two to three sermons we, we could preach about this, this text, right? right? The fact that they have to step out, and as they step out, they are healed. But this is such an emotional moment because as they leave, they are healed, and they can go home. They're no longer an outcast. Right? They can go home to their friends and their family, and you can imagine the joy in this moment. Not just the joy, because the thing is, it's not just, well, great, I'm not sick any longer. But they can go home. The nightmare was over. Hope had returned. They were going to live. This has to be the greatest day in their life. But then we continue reading. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet and thanked them. And then the text tells us, and this is one of the other sermons we could preach, is he was a Samaritan. Right? This is one of the things Jesus is trying to get across over and over in the stories we find in the gospel, is that it's the outcast, it's the person on the outside, it's the person on the margins, it's the person that's been excluded by the religious establishment, it's those we consider unworthy who often come and follow Jesus the most passionately. Right? He's the one who returns. It's the Samaritan who returns. So it was a Samaritan. And then in verse 17, we, we see that Jesus replied. And I think there's a bit of irony in Jesus' voice, right? I, I, there's a twinkle in Jesus. When you read the, when you learn to like read the, the Gospels um, with just a little bit of humor and just looking for the twinkle, you see a twinkle in Jesus' eye every so often. And this is one of those moments where there's just a little bit of irony. He kind of gets a little, he's like, weren't there ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Jesus is clear, right? Except this foreigner, the one you have cast out, the one that was less than. And then Jesus said to him, get up and go, and your faith has healed you. Now, ever since I was a kid, I've heard this story. We already established I'm scared of leprosy, right? And so I heard this story a lot. And um, the, the moral of the story, and this is a decent moral, right? The moral of the story is be like the one who returned. Don't be like the nine who, who went back. Don't be ungrateful, right? That's, that's the moral, right? How ungrateful can these people be? They've been given their lives back, right? And they don't go back. But the thing is, I don't think they're ungrateful. Right? I don't think the nine other men in this story are ungrateful. Right? They're able, they are healed. They are able to go home for the first time. They have to be brimming and overflowing with gratitude. They, they're overflowing with gratitude. Their lives have been given back. They have to, as they return home, instead of shouting unclean, which was required by the law, when lepers would approach, they would yell out, unclean, 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 stand back. Instead of yelling, shouting out unclean, they're shouting, I'm clean, I'm clean. They are dancing and hugging their kids and their wives and their relatives. They are overcome with joy. They are thankful, and they are as thankful and grateful as they could be. But only one of the men realizes that the life that he has been given is, is possible because of what someone else has done for him. 
Right? Only one of them realizes. And so he goes back to say thank you. And his, grati- you know, or his gratitude leads to action. The problem that these nine men had is not that they didn't feel gratitude. The problem is that they didn't act on their gratitude. Now there's a lesson, there's a, there's a couple lessons that we could pick from this. And, and this, is, this, this one is free, right? I'm gonna, we're going to keep on. This is not the final trajectory of where we're going with the sermon. But, but Thanksgiving is this weekend. And you are going home. And some of you are going home and you're nervous about it, right? Like you are nervous about the conversation around the Thanksgiving table because Uncle Sid or whoever is going to be there and you've seen his Facebook posts. <laughs> it's true. And, and there's, some, there's, there's a little fear about the political conversations or there's just fear because there's tension in your family or whatever it might be. And I just want to encourage you like, to, to enter, to return home with the sense of gratitude, right? To return home with a sense of gratitude and just express that gratitude to this family that you feel like you don't quite know anymore, right? Because you are living in a different world. And, and just to thank them for all the ways that they've invested in you and made the life, your life possible and all the amazing things that you are grateful that they've done for you. Because I know what it, like, my family, sometimes when I go back home, not my immediate family, but, like, my extended family, like, I kind of dread it because it's a little awkward. And they say things that, that make me feel awkward, and I sometimes find it hard to engage with them. And so I just think as you, as you return home to, to return home with a sense of gratitude for all the wonderful things that you love about your family, I think it can make the holidays go a bit easier. But that's just for free. Um, that's not the point of the sermon. I want to push this deeper, though. Because practicing abundance, being people who live for others, being people who live beyond ourselves, is rooted ultimately in living a life of gratitude, not simply being grateful. Living a life of gratitude flows from a sense of wonder, the wonder and the appreciation that we are wonderfully cared for by a God from whom all blessings flow. We are lavished with good gifts of of music and companionship and the beauty of nature and other cultures. The sensation of movement, right? Dance and creativity, the joy of sexuality. These are all wonderful and majestic gifts that we've been given. Life is a gift. Now, some of you, some of you have friends who are just a bit over the top, right? Who, um, when it comes to their their religious practice, and so. Um, they're the ones who pray for the parking space. And then when they get the parking space in front of, you know, Walmart or wherever it is that people get parking spots, I don't know where people park anymore. But, um, but whenever you park, right, you get this parking space, they're like, thank you, Jesus, that I got this parking space. And, and if you're me, like, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, seriously, do you think Jesus cares about the parking space? But, 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 but as, I've, as I've grown and matured, what I've realized is that there's a power in living your life in a state of perpetual praise and gratitude. There's a beauty to seeing everything as a gift and giving, being thankful and grateful for it. Right? And seeing life and everything in life as, a, as, as something you are grateful for. And there's also the realization, and there also needs to be a realization... And, and I want to be careful here because this impacts some of you more than others. But there needs to be a realization that much of the life that you're thankful for was because of what someone else has done for you. 
this is not all of but this is not all of you but the education the family of origins the opportunities that you have the privilege that some of you have some of us walk around listen some of us walk around acting and i've said this before acting like we hit a double and we were born on second base and here's the deal i am so grateful for every opportunity i've been given in life i'm grateful for a dad who taught me to love books maybe a bit too much i'm grateful for grandparents on both sides that went to college and set an example for me that the importance of higher education I am grateful for mentors who invested in me and forgave me during my biggest bungles. I am only here because of the people who have invested in me and who have given me possibilities. But being grateful is not enough. We must express our gratitude by practicing abundance, by believing that there is always enough to share and invest in others. One of the more powerful stories in the gospel is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is of this young boy who has this gift of, of just a few fish and a few loaves, just enough for him to make it through the day, maybe him and his family to make it through the day. And he takes the loaf and he takes the fish and he shares it with Jesus. And there's all these people who need to be fed. And in this moment, he was risking his own hunger and he takes it and he gives it. And Jesus takes it. And we read uh, in, in um, John's gospel, we read in ch uh, chapter 6, verse 11, then Jesus takes the loaf. And Jesus does what? He raises them and he gives thanks. And then he distributed to everyone who was, to those who were seated. And, and then we read at the end of this, and they had as much as they wanted. In the economy of God, when we offer up what we have been entrusted with, with a gift of gratitude, something beautiful happens and it begins to replicate itself. And each of you has been graciously blessed in different ways. But the question you have to wrestle with is will you practice abundance? Now the holiday season is a time when people turn their thoughts to what they're grateful for. But I want to challenge you to go beyond that. So I've got two practical things I want you to do. And because everyone's mind turns to gratitude and being thankful during this season, like this is a good time to begin this practice, but I hope you'll continue this on. So two things. First, keep a gratitude log. Every evening as you're going to bed or every morning when you wake up, write down three things that you are thankful for. Maybe it's the warmth of sunlight on a cold day or the gentleness of a kiss on the cheek or the joy of a baby's squeal the power of your legs when you run, the taste of coffee in the morning. It, it could be whatever, right? What are the things, the gifts that, you've, that, that make life worth living? But then second, I want to encourage you to go one step further and to practice abundance, right? Throw a feast for your friends and your family. Make a meal together. Invite someone over who's lonely. Break open a bottle of two-buck chuck and listen to LPs together. Listen to an old, rec old records together. Serve at the local food pantries. Write resumes. I don't know what it is, but out of the gratitude of your heart, let it spill into the life of another. Practice abundance. Now, some of you are rightly thinking, like, this is all well and good for everyone sitting around me, but I, I have no abundance. My life, is, my life is the poster child for scarcity. 
And, and so for those of you who kind of feel that way, and for those of you who don't, I want to end with a story. Now, the challenge for me is that um, this is one of my favorite stories, and I would normally share it and pass it off as my own, but the challenge is I invited my, one of my heroes, Tony Campola, to come, and it's his story, and he shared it while he was visiting the table, which really kind of takes the power away from it. Um, for me, I can't share it as my own, but I'm going to share Tony's story. Some of you have heard this, some of you haven't. Um, but t- Tony shares the story that uh, he was in Philly walking down Chestnut Street, and he noticed, in his words, a bum who was walking towards him. And this man was covered with dirt, and you could smell him as he approached. His beard was matted with rotten food, and he was holding, like it was a goblet, a cup of McDonald's coffee. And Tony noticed that as he walked towards him, he was like kept looking down at this cup of coffee. And, and as he got closer, he yells out, Hey, mister, you want some of my coffee? And Tony says, I have to admit that I didn't really want any of his coffee, but not wanting to reject his generosity, he says, yeah, sure, I'll take a sip. And as Tony handed the coffee back to the man after taking a sip, he said, what made you so generous today? And the old man replied, well, the coffee was especially good, and I figured if God gives you something good, you ought to share it with people. Right? Even if it's just a cup of, of warm coffee that strikes you as particularly wonderful, what does it look like to practice abundance even with that small gift? Now, what does it look like to live a life of gratitude? Because it's not enough to be grateful. You've got to practice abundance. And so as you go into this holiday season, and as you go into 2017, my prayer is that you take time to be grateful. And then from that gratitude that you, from that gratitude that's in your heart, that you would allow that to spill over into abundance, into the lives of those who God has placed around you. Um, And I just want to, as we end, um, I want to just do one last pitch. Following the service, uh, Lisa Matthews is going to lead this class called Discover. And, And the point of Discover is to help you begin to figure out what are the gifts that God has given you. This room is so full of gifts. Like It blows me away, the, the talent and the gifts that are in this room. But often we haven't begun to mine or tap into those gifts, or we have used them simply to enrich ourselves or to forward ourselves in our career. And what does it begin to reshape and to rethink um, how, what those giftings are and how we go about using them. And so Lisa's just going to begin to touch on that and beginning to dig down what are the spiritual gifts that we've been given and then just what's the gift of personality and passion. So immediately after, there's going to be some pizza or some kind of food. I really would encourage you as you're kind of wrestling through this, I, this question of what does it look like to practice abundance is to start with thinking about the gifts that you have been entrusted with. Um, let's pray. God, we are just, we are overcome with gratitude today, right? We are grateful for fall weather and for changing leaves and for the crisp air and the gift of warm drinks and friendship and beautiful music that we got to sing and participate in and people to praise with. There are so many things that we are grateful for. And I pray that you would help us to be a people who learn to practice abundance out of the gratefulness of our heart. Would we allow that gratitude to turn into action? And would we go beyond being grateful? But would we practice abundance? 
Make us be a means of peace and a means of grace in the world you have placed us. Amen.